Before we get going with today's podcast, I just want to jump on here for a second and personally invite you to a one-off brand new masterclass that I am hosting on Thursday the 16th of May. How to scale your online business to six figures and beyond. So if you are a course creator, a membership owner or a coach, then this is for you. I'm sharing with you my most effective strategies to become the go-to person in your industry and grow your online business. I will cover how to build your audience, how to craft an irresistible offer and how to master your launch strategy so that you will know the most effective way to grow your audience and build your email list fast, know how to craft an offer that your audience will love and create a launch that fits with you and enables you to sell with ease. And why should you come and listen to me? Well, I started doing this almost 10 years ago and the very first client I worked with back in 2016 I helped him launch his very first membership he had a done for you product and a one-to-one product and we created a membership in his first launch he got a hundred and thirty members bringing him in about sixty thousand in income every year now He has built a suite of online products that is bringing him in way over six figures every single year. This is going to be an awesome masterclass. You're going to get so much good stuff to take away with you to be able to use in your business. So to grab your free place, go to TeresaHeathWearing.com forward slash masterclass and I will see you there. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast episode 222. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast and I'm your host, Teresa Heathwaring. If you're a marketer, business owner or entrepreneur that is frustrated and overwhelmed with all the constant changes in digital marketing and social media, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each week, I share with you easy, insightful and actionable steps that you can use to grow your business. So let's get started. Firstly... I'd like to start by wishing you a very, very Merry Christmas. Now, I know I'm a little bit late. It was a couple of days ago, but I wanted to take the chance to hope that you had a lovely, lovely time with your family and friends and you got to celebrate, you got to take time off, you got to relax and you got to remember what all this hard work all year round was for. So I'm really hoping that you've had a lovely, lovely break. And also, if you are listening to this at the time it comes out, then I hope you've got exciting plans for New Year. I have to say, I'm not a big New Year fan, if I'm honest. We tend to stay at home with a bottle of fizz or seven and yeah, just watch a bit of TV. Just, it's not really my thing. It's not really my thing. But my husband did try and convince me that we should go to LA this year for like four days, which I quickly assured him I was not up to doing because I'm very tired. Okay. So before I get started with today's interview, which is awesome, it's with Miriam, who is so much fun and talks about lots of good things, including her five-step passion to profit framework. I want to just give you a heads up of something that might be happening soon. I have been going through the process of a rebrand and also looking at my names of everything, not my name, my name stays the same, um, but as in the name of my membership and my podcast and all these other good things. And they are changing. I'm not ready at this point just to share yet what it's going to be, 
This is actually the second time I've changed my podcast name. The first time it was Social Media Marketing Made Simple. Then I realized it was way too much more about marketing than just social media. So I changed it to Marketing That Converts. And now I'm realizing that it's way more about just marketing because the the time that I've gone on in my business, as I'm like seven plus years into my business, I realized that I can obviously talk and support in lots of other areas than I currently do you know, than I did. So it's going through another little tweak and a change, which I'm very excited about. I hope you'll love. It's coming soon, but I just want you to keep an eye out for us. Keep an eye out on my socials and things and you'll find it as it starts to happen. But I just wanted to give you a heads up. Okay. So like I said, we talked today to the lovely Miriam. Now, Miriam is the founder of Inspiration Place, the artist incubator coaching program where she helps artists from amateur to professionals to develop their skills, tap into their creativity and grow thriving art businesses. She's also an artist herself and an author. And basically today we talk about how you can market yourself and how you can turn your passion into profit because now, I don't know about you, and we talked about this on the podcast, but lots of people think, you know, struggling artist, like that's the name. And actually, she talks more about just the fact of being artist, she talks about having an online business and how to really sort of stand firm in the fact of what you do and who you are and your personality. So I think there's loads you're going to get from this episode. So without further ado, here is the lovely Miriam. Okay. Welcome to this week's podcast, the very lovely Miriam Shillman. Miriam, how are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I am really excited to have you on. I'm really excited to uh, share with my listeners your story and how you got to kind of what you're doing now, because it's something that's quite close to my heart in terms of doing your passion and doing something that you absolutely love. So I always start exactly the same way. I'm sure it bores the listeners to death, but but I don't mix it up a bit. Uh, but can you start by introducing yourself and tell us how you got to do what you're doing now? Okay, so I, I'm in my fifties, so like the lot. Let's let's give the short version of the life story journey. <laughs> uh, so I am an artist, and what I primarily do is I help other people who either want to reconnect with that creativity because they haven't they either they always wanted to paint and never got around to it or they used to be creative in college so i help those people and i also for the past few years been helping other emerging artists make a full-time living from their art okay but so, i have okay so the, here's the journey okay. part okay in the shortest version possible so i haven't always been an artist like most people like my audience I took the longer path. I did the practical route first. I worked on Wall Street. And after 9-11 happened, I decided I was no longer going to do that. Mm -hmm. Just as I'm sure there's many people now during the pandemic who are taking stock of what they're doing in their life. Um, people who were laid off and maybe don't want to go back to what they were doing before. So that was my experience after 9-11 is that I was not going to go back to the world of finance. And that's when I committed myself to becoming an artist. So can I just touch on that bit? Because obviously that is that is a huge, huge event that took place and life-changing for the world almost. Um, were you in Wall Street at that point during 9-11? Or were you, so were you physically very close to where it all happened? 
Well, that's a really good question. And what most people don't remember is there was another bombing of the World Trade Center in 93. And I was working in the World Trade Center at that time. And I we were working, my office dire faced directly the tower that where the bomb went off. And in my office, everyone kept working. And that vision of seeing the terrorism happen in the building next door while my office stayed working, that stuck with me. So that when 9-11 happened, if you recall, there was 20 minutes between when the two planes hit and the second tower, they did not rush to evacuate that. They were not evacuating that. So it was that culture that you keep working, even though there's a terrorism attack going on right next door. Um, so even though I was not working in the World Trade Center during 9-11, I had been so close to that world and it was so close to what who I it could have yeah. been me. So it was yeah. so close to that. Um, that was a very frightening kind of like a PTSD moment for me when yeah. when I saw 9-11, um, it was like brought me right back to that first bombing. Yeah, and you're right. Like, what kind of world do we live in where something like that happens and yet we just keep working? Like, that. It, when you say it like that, it's like, well, that's insane. Who does that? But, but I kind For the of... record, I didn't keep working. Like, yeah. I... Okay, so when the first bomb went off, I was having lunch with a girlfriend in the cafeteria, which is on the second floor. The power went out. So there was like backup generators that kept the lights on and the computers humming, but they stopped running the elevators. They didn't tell us what was happening. They told us it was a Con Ed failure. So my friend and I, we walked up, back up 37 flights of stairs. Could you imagine if like this was during, you know, not, okay. So we walked back up and it wasn't until we got to the, to our desk that we could see what the truth of what was actually happening outside the windows. And you could, people were smashing the, the windows with their computers to um, try to breathe. And I, I just turned right around and left, I can't, right around. I'm, I'm glad to say I can't imagine because that's just, I mean, obviously we all watch 9-11 in absolute horror, and, but to be so close to it and to, and I think, not that, you know, you don't ever want to think, you know, what good came of it. But the fact is that you looked at what your life was at that point and went, this is not worth it. No, like if I was waiting for a sign from the universe, that was a <laughs> pretty big sign. Yeah. So at the time, like I said, I wasn't working on Wall Street. In fact, I wasn't even working at all. I was taking an extended maternity leave. Uh -huh. But that's when I said to my husband, I'm not going back. No. no. <laughs> How can you live like you know, and I know we can't live in fear and I know that things happen all the time, but but just living and working in that environment. And funnily enough, I have a, a family member who worked in New York and that was the point that she decided I'm not working in New York anymore. And she came away and moved and they now work somewhere else in the States. But I think sometimes, although we don't like it, although no one liked the pandemic, no one is pleased that terrorist attacks happen. But those things make you see things in a way that maybe you could never have seen things. Absolutely. There's nothing like a crisis, whether it's a global thing or a personal crisis, like a death, a, a death in your life that lifts the veil of whatever's not working in your life. Yeah. And you see very clearly what is and isn't important to you. Mm.
I mean, I think we've all had that experience, Teresa, and I bet you have as well, where you've had like a a death in the family or some sort of crisis and all of a sudden like your to-do list gets cut in half. You're like, oh yeah, I don't have to do this stuff. You know, this is not necessary to create a real, you know, like whatever ridiculous thing you had on your list. Yeah, exactly. You're right. So can I ask the, so what was the transition then between having a job in Wall Street to then like I'm really fascinated in in that kind of not just the how did you do it how did you get from one to the other but also how you felt because I'm assuming that working in Wall Street in the trade centers doing all that stuff like must have felt very powerful and empowering and then like to say to your Wall Street colleagues, I'm going to go off and do something around painting. Like, obviously, I'm simplifying it. Do you know what I mean? Like, how did that feel? That's a great question. I haven't been asked that before. Yeah, there, is, there was something there is you t- you tapped on something that most people don't realize. Um, most people, when they talk to me, they assume I hated that world. Yeah. And what you just tapped into was the truth that there was something very seductive about all that power of the money. And I grew up very poor, so I had never had that before. So that was like very difficult to walk to walk away from. And there was a little bit of that. I hope people don't see what I'm doing right now at first. You know, there was a little bit of that. And I also like, Teresa, to, to kind of compare it. So most people will have this experience. It's like the hero's journey in all those hero's journey stories. So um, pick pick any of them. Mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz. Let's just pick yeah. Wizard of Oz. Okay. Yeah. Where the 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 heroine decides they're going to go on this great journey. And there's that moment where they, they want to go back. So like Dorothy says, no, I'm not running away from home. I'm going back to Aunt Em. Yeah. And then there's that big moment that happens where it's, no, you're not going back. So there was really the two steps that had happened, Teresa. There was the extended maternity leave, which was kind of like my first, I'm stepping back from this world because I was already feeling jaded. And then when 9-11 happened, that was like the crossing of the threshold Mm. in that hero's journey. So, um, you know, like in Star Wars where Luke's planet gets blown up, for example, or Dorothy, her house goes to Oz. So that crossing of the threshold moment makes it impossible to go back. So I felt like it was impossible to go back at that point. Yeah, yeah. So then you only had one choice, which was then to make this success. So did you leave or did you cross that threshold knowing full well what you were going into? Oh, no. I was going to say, oh, Oh, no, I didn't. (laughs) I did not. I just knew I wasn't. I was so confused. I was so confused. I didn't. I and I, I didn't believe I could make a living as an artist, which is why I didn't pursue it in the first place. So I, I, I did start, you know, painting was always my passion. So I was painting and I thought I was going to be a Pilates instructor. So I, I took a job um, at a very big chain of gyms. And Teresa, it was um, the gym makes it their mission to teach their um, so it's New York Sports Club, which I don't know how they did during the pandemic, but prior to the pandemic, a huge chain of gyms. They train their instructors, not just on how to do the exercises, but how to sell. Because that's where the money is, is how to sell personal training packages. And it was during these sales training sessions that I had my aha moment. I was like, oh, 
you mean I could do these things? Yeah. I'm not going to do it to sell personal training packages. I'm going to do it to sell my portraits. And since then, that was like became a lifelong mission for me to learn everything that you spend your time in, in your world, like the email marketing and building my, like, and the more I learned about how to do that, the more excited I became because I I felt I had control Mm -hmm. over my destiny. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that funny? I think, I don't know many people who just take that step into being an entrepreneur who then go, oh, this is the thing. Exactly. Like they have the passion, they have the thing. But actually, what's really fascinating is the fact that the thing that you that held you back is the thing that you're helping other people with now. You thought I could never make money. And I think like as a complete layman to this, I know very little about the art world. My friend owns an art gallery which he loans me lovely art to put in my office, which is nice. Um, but like, you know, the only thing I know really about art is 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 big artists that sell their paintings for hundreds of thousands, millions, whatever. And you kind of don't, or the really disposable art that you get in Ikea or, you know what I mean? Like Habitat or whatever it is. I don't, I don't really see the in-between bit, which is like the, not the Van Goghs and not the Ikea. So how was that getting started in that and and trying to then sell your own stuff? Okay, so the great question. And I think what most people don't realize is there are so many artists making a living who are not household names because they think either you're a household name or you're starving and this and they and the media loves to play the story of van gogh it's such a tragic hero he was meanwhile he was never starving let's just be honest he had a trust fund you know theo sent him plenty of money um okay so they love to play that up but you don't need and teresa i'm sure you'll agree with this when you're when you're let's say uh, and you help a lot of coaches i I assume is that true Mm -hmm. right so coaches for example they don't need thousands of clients same thing with art you as long as you are selling to the high a high end of the market and not the hundred thousand market but you know paintings that are um i'm going to say this in pounds because for your audience you know you're selling paintings for two to five thousand pounds yeah, you don't need to sell a lot of paintings to make a full time living. No, five thousand paintings, uh, five thousand pounds of painting, you know, what ten to twenty paintings a year. So I'm interested. Then, how do you find, or how did you find your market? Like, because you just said that to me, and it's like, and I immediately thought, well, that sounds really hard. How do you find these people? Because with art, as with anything in that kind of creative space, it's so subjective, and it's. In fact, I think I'm going to like put my neck out and said, especially with art, because we all know I've seen art that I think is stunning and is not much money. And then I've seen art that I don't understand or is not my thing that will be selling for loads of money. And I just think, oh, who would pay for that? You know, or so how do you find the people who are going to specifically like and buy your style of art? That's a great question. So it's again, it's not that much. Our worlds are not that much different. So just like you would have a client. Well, I don't know how I'm going to find a a client to pay me 5,000 pounds for a package. So it's a lot of it has to do with your positioning yourself as a high end brand. And pricing is actually the shortcut to creating that perception. So just like um, wine, 
are you a cheap wine or expensive wine? And what's the difference? And most people yeah. are going to assume that the wine that costs more is the better wine. And they've actually done blind taste tests where yeah. they've, they've given the same exact wine, but with and a they different, told, they told the people, this yeah. is the 20, you know, this is 20 pounds. This is 50 pounds. This is a hundred pounds. Yeah. And of course they like the more expensive wine better. So it's, it's, it's partially positioning. It's also um, leaning into your signature style. Mm -hmm. So I like, should, is this a good place for us to talk about the five foundations yeah. of your yeah, business? Okay. Yeah, so I will talk about both how I teach this to artists, but it's, it's any business. Mm -hmm. So the five parts it's, it's your production and your production is making sure that you have the capacity to produce assets. Okay. That even if you were fully booked, fully sold out, fully, whatever it is that you actually, that math works. Okay. So some artists, they discover, oh, I can only make a painting a week. I guess I can't charge $100 for this. I see. Yeah. Same thing yeah. with people who are service-based yeah. people. Okay. You can't charge $40, 40 pounds an hour. That math doesn't work. Yeah. You won't have time to go to the bathroom. So, um, you know, it's it, that's the first part is what are you producing? But I also like to say, well, what is marketable? And what's marketable is having a signature style. So a signature style, whether it's in business, a signature style, whether that's your music, your art, your creativity, whatever that happens to be, uh, people don't want copies. I'm smiling because you're so right. The way that you, and I'm, I've got your Instagram in front of me as we speak, you know, you have a very specific style and all you're doing is being authentic to who you are and what you like and what you do and not trying to be anybody else. And that's exactly the same in general business with everyone else like yes nobody I'm needs showing... another tony robinson with the black turtleneck you know or an, i mean and I'm, there's no shade on tony robinson there's no shade on gabby bernstein but nobody needs a copycat of that right. there is a gabby bernstein we don't need another one right exactly exactly so okay so looking at product, can i ask one question about the product um, production yeah. side do you start backwards from what you want to earn I like to start when, so when I interview clients, the first thing I like to be clear, what is your goal? Mm -hmm. I'll say, what, what is your goal? And if they just, if their goal is, I just, you know, want to get my art out there. I know they're not a good client for me. <laughs> so you have to have a very specific destination in mind. Yeah. You, you know, otherwise you're just getting into a car and driving around till you run out of gas. So you need yeah. a destination and then I can help them with the strategy. Mm-hmm that's going to get them there, the vehicle that will get them there. So I do like to ask my clients, what, where are you going? And then we look at, well, what is it that you're actually doing your production? What is your capacity yeah. is what you're doing going to get you there. And of course the, the next plan is the pricing plan that is going to overlap with the production. So what are you pricing your services or your products for? Does that math even work? Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. Sometimes I think, and I think like all of us, we get into our businesses and we start doing the thing and then we kind of go, oh, hang on a minute. And, and we don't do this at day one because none of us did. I'd love to say that I sat there on day one and went through all of these steps and worked out what my pricing was, but it didn't work like that. Whereas, you know, it, I think not many people or not enough people then go, actually, if I want to earn this and I'm selling it for that. I need an extra 300 hours in my week. That isn't going to work. You know, so I think that's such a good exercise to do. Yeah. I think where a lot of people get stuck and you kind of hinted at this earlier, where do you find the people? 
<laughs> want to pay that is there's that limiting belief that cheaper is easier to sell and it isn't yes, it's not no so no. um cheaper can be low prices can be a turnoff mm. um it, people may what, what's what's wrong with it so and where what customers are most motivated by are not low prices they're they're motivated by value they're looking for value yeah and i think in your world as well they're looking for unique different like if someone looks at your paintings and says that's too expensive then they're not a customer of of your level you know they they might be a customer of a i get a print somewhere or you know and i think one thing that's really interesting in the handmade space like where where you are making the thing you're selling is everyone underestimates how long it takes yeah, like yeah. It, i mean i have a client right now who she's doubled her prices and she cannot keep up with the orders now that she's doubled it. She, it's like, it's easier for her to sell at these right. higher prices. It's like, it's time to double them again. Yeah. <laughs> like she's not yeah, quite busy, emotionally ready to do that, but yeah. it's like, you can't keep up. What You don't really yeah. have a choice. That's amazing. So we've got production, we've got price. What comes next? Okay, so this one, I think will be near and dear to your heart. So that is prospecting. Okay. So, you know, once people know they have to raise the prices, all kinds of fear and doubt creep in. Where are we going to find these people? And the biggest mistakes that we see, we being you and I, is people's reliance on social media rather than moving their prospects to an email list that they can count on. So we've, yeah. you know, we've all seen what, ha- you know, what happens. Like, there, it was, I mean, Facebook and Instagram got shut down for I a know, day. Like six hours. <laughs> right. And then we all think, oh, this could never happen to me. I had a client just a week ago. Her Instagram got shut down after posting a, a photo of her artwork of a bird. So it's, we all have this feeling, like, wait, I love your face. So I others feel like, oh, as long as I, you know, follow the rules, it won't happen to me. No, it, you have no idea. Mm. Like there's some quirky thing. Like, I don't mm. know what she said in there, bird. I don't know, cause it's bird yeah. flu. I don't know what she, she doesn't know what she did. She can't get her account back. So and you can't rely on this. No, and this happens more than you would imagine. So and you like don't you even want to rely on it because it's no. like they're you they're only showing your post to one percent. Yeah, yeah. You need other ways. Like it, it's that whole don't put all your eggs in one basket scenario, isn't it? And I think people forget because they're on several platforms or because you know social media is so big, they just assume that oh well, I only need to do that, and it's like. Yeah, that's great if it works and that's working for you. But the minute something goes wrong, you are absolutely done for from a, you know, a marketing point of view. So you're really keen at that prospecting bit to get people from social media onto the email list. Yes. And for um, artists who interface with people in person, Mm -hmm. every single person you meet, move them to your email list. And I do this even in my day to day life. I will. you know, drop it into the conversation that I'm an artist. And the minute they say, can I have your card? I say, oh, I don't, I don't have any. Um, let me get, give you my, give me your email and I'll, I'll send you my artwork. You know, like I, I, I'll work it in that yeah. way. So I think the number one thing people can do, and this, Teresa, this is for everybody, not just artists, yeah. is start telling everybody what you do. Every single person you meet, you 
I am a whatever that is, because it does two things. It's it starts owning that identity for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's probably more than two things. You're owning that identity for yourself. You're practicing that elevator pitch. Yeah. And you're telling the universe you're open for business. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And and you're right. There's something really empowering about the way you could say that, especially when you're just starting and when maybe you have that doubt of, well, am I really an artist? I mean, I'm not selling that many paintings or I'm not doing that well. And it's like, no, tell people that's exactly what you are. That's exactly what you do. And saying I'm an artist. I mean, generally that sounds really fancy, but like, yes. So in your really world, nice. it's like, say I'm, I'm a, I'm a business coach or I'm a weight loss coach or whatever yeah. to start telling everybody who you are and what you do. Don't hide your identity. No, no. I love that. Really love own it a hundred percent. So like were you saying to me before, like, did you tell people like you have to start owning it from the beginning? And I think just touching back on that, I think that's the problem. I think we do get nervous and the truth is, when I talk to people about like showing their face and, you know, telling people what they do and putting themselves out there, they're not necessarily nervous about some stranger seeing them. They're nervous about past colleagues, past friends, family, like current friends, like those are the people that they're scared for. And it's like, well, if they're really, truly on your side, then they won't care and they won't judge and they will support. If they're not doing those things, they are definitely not people to have in your world. Yes, 100%. I see that a lot in my world too, if my artists, that they don't want to tell the people closer to them. I was like, mm. these are the people who would be most likely to want your art because they feel a connection to you. And, and I can imagine that like with lots of us that own businesses, even when we have very successful businesses, people are like, oh, you've got that little job where you work from home, right? And they're really patronizing about it. And I can imagine, and I know some of my members who make handmade gifts or bake wedding cakes or whatever. And 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 again, in, in your industry, that people are almost, I, I'm going to guess to say that they're worse that they're like they really see it as a hobby not a you know as if that you can make money from it which is part of the reason you're needed to demonstrate to the world that this can be done oh yeah 100 percent mm. yeah. yeah okay so we've got production price uh prospecting what's next okay promotion okay all right. And my, my thoughts around this has evolved over time. So I think where people get this wrong with promotion is there's really two types of promotion. Mm -hmm. There's the promotion that you do to get prospects, mm -hmm. that your marketing promotion, and there's the promotion that you do to get sales. Yes. And some, most people, the problem they run into is they conflate the two. Okay. And that tends to be the problem that they see Instagram as they see people who are successfully, who are on there, who are successful. And what they don't realize is what their people are doing on Instagram is the first half of the promotion. That's to get attention. Mm -hmm. If you're not moving them to your email marketing, then you're not doing the second part, which mm -hmm. is the promotion for sales. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some people, you know, when they talk about, can you sell on social media? And it's like, some cases you might, yeah, because someone might see a piece of your art that's on Instagram and go, oh, I want that. But inevitably, it's that it's that relationship building that you're doing in the emails that social is supporting. Because obviously when people join the, your list, it's not like they opt out of watching your Instagram, but it's just generally supporting that 
that relationship and that journey through into having the confidence to buy from you. Okay. So after promotion, what have we got then? One, two, three. All right. The fifth one is productivity. Okay. So these, this is your, your system. Yeah. What is your system for making it all work? Uh, and I used to call it system, but then everyone thought I meant that's just your software. Yeah. It's not yeah, the software. No, that's not what we mean. No. So, and it really circles back to what you had asked me at the beginning. What I found the most powerful piece of being productive is being super clear, hyper clear on your goals mm -hmm. and not just writing your goals down, like manifesting and, and you know, you know, just taking out your, like your a wish board and looking at, I'm not saying those are bad things, no. but really creating plans around it and revisiting to make sure you are reaching those milestones on a weekly basis. What are my three goals for this week? What is my goal for this day? And writing it down. Uh, I it's, you know, there's lots of research that says writing it down uh, makes yeah. it more likely to happen because it's using a different part of your brain. Mm -hmm. So when you imagine when you have a vision for your goal, you're using more of the creative part of your brain when you're writing it down it's more the logical side of your brain so harmonizing the two parts of your brain will really supercharge you getting things done and staying clear and not getting distracted yeah yeah and i am a big big fan of that my audience know really well that i love a goal setting and you're right i don't just goal set for the year i goal set for the quarter i then break it down into weeks i break it down into like what am i doing today but the other thing that the reason I think that this is so important is it enables you to become more realistic. So let's say my I look at my goals for this week and I know that I've got a couple of days where I am batch recording podcasts, which is what I'm doing. And I have literally I can see my diary right in my face back to back pretty much all day. So realistically this week, how much am I really going to get done? So that way, my goal for today in fact, because I write, I have the full focus planner by Michael Hyatt and I have the three things for the day. There's nothing in those three things today because the only one thing should be in there is do the calls. Like that's it. Because I'm being realistic. I, If I got anything else done today other than do all these interviews, it's a bonus. So therefore, I'm not putting any pressure on myself. And I think sometimes when we don't goal set, when we don't think about the plan, like I could have got to the end of the day and gone, oh, I've done nothing. Where it's like, no, I have done loads, but I know full well at the start of today, I'm not going to do anything else other than interviews. And that's absolutely fine. So I'm not going to put any pressure on to make sure I do anything else. So I personally, I think it's it's a really good thing to know. And then even if you don't hit them, it's like, okay, well, what happened? Why didn't I hit it? Did I still want to hit it? Was it not a priority? If it is a priority, why didn't that happen? Did I not make time for it? Did I try that thing and it didn't work? So I need to try something else. So there's always somewhere to go with it. Yeah. And I don't know if you do this, Teresa, but um, when I, I time block so that, and in those time blocks, like I will actually write down, you know, nine to 11, it doesn't say work because that's when you have the situation like, well, what happened to my day? It yeah. will actually say what my goal is for completing. Mm -hmm. So it might be write chapter seven or draft a podcast, whatever it happens to be. One mistake that I see my clients do is they, they'll put on their, even even if they're time blocking, they, they might say work on their website. I was like, that, yeah. that is nice. not concrete. You have, no. it's too big. You gotta mm -hmm. say it, maybe it's, 
your about page. Maybe it's not even your about page. Maybe it's just you're drafting the copy for the about yeah, page. Yeah. That's what you can get done in an hour or two. And yeah. then you'll feel good about like, I did that. Yeah. And you know, I've got a couple of funny stories about this. The one is yesterday I was, I was doing a call with my next level members and I was saying to them about this and that, that I do, they know I time block. And, and yesterday I time blocked and I was ahead of my time. And I'm like, I could not have been more excited. Like, you know, when you go, okay, so I'm going to do that one thing and it's going to take me an hour and you do it in 40 minutes. And then you think, oh, I can start another thing. And, and then you're, you're ahead of yourself all the time. It's like, it becomes a race. I'm so competitive. Like, to get faster than I think I could be. But you're right. I, and again, another thing I did just, I think it was last week, I did some emails about productivity. And I talked about, you know how when you write your to-do list, like you said, and you put update website or the classic one I see all the time is create lead magnet. And I'm like, <laughs> do you know how long that'll sit on your to-do list for? And how many times you'll look at it and think I'm useless. I haven't done it. And it's because it's too big. And as, and so what I did in my emails is I broke down every step of creating a lead magnet. And it was literally like a list of about nine or 10 things. And I was like, that's more realistic. And then, you know, if I'm going to do it within the next quarter, in this month, I'm going to do these four things. In this month, I'm going to do these four things. In the following month, I'm going to do those four things. And and at least then you can start ticking those things off. So if task number one is come up with an idea for a lead magnet, then that's all you've got to do this week. If task number two is write the frame or the rough wording for the lead magnet, you know, it just makes it feel like you're achieving stuff. When you just write something too big, you don't feel like you've achieved anything. Yeah. And do your, do the people you work with, do they have team members? Because I would, I would want to go on to say that I actually been helping my team manage their time too. So like, I'll sit down, we have a, a launch coming up and, you know, we have a list of things and we know when everything is due D U E and I will sit down with my team member. Okay. When are you going to actually do D O mm -hmm. when are you create? We, and, and I sat down with her. Okay. How long is it going to take you to create the webinars and the, and the autoresponders for each webinar? She says, I think it's a day. Okay which day are you doing it? Yeah. And we put that on her calendar so that I know that even though she has other behind the scenes work going, that that's the day she's working on it. So I help them do it too. So that's something like we can be really good about managing our own time, but we have to realize that we have to help our team manage their time as well. Yeah. And especially when you're relying on that team and often when we do have a team, we do some elements, they do some elements, we do some elements. So yes. we need to know when they're going to be working on their bit to help plan us work on our bit. So that's right. Yeah. So that's really good. Thank like, that's really helpful to say I break it down. Now, I've got a couple of other questions and I'm conscious of our time. So the one question I wanted to ask was when you first started this business, did you start just selling art as in that was the only part of your business and at what point did you then decide to take in an online business where you helped and taught and did that sort of thing great question so yes i just sold my art in the beginning and i didn't have an email list back then i was doing word of mouth marketing and i, I didn't so yeah. when, what happened i was on etsy and somebody reached out to me and said, do you I really love your techniques. Do you teach online? And this is way back in 2012. I had never heard of online classes then, you know, it's like, it doesn't yeah. even sound like it's that long yeah. ago, but online no, dog years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, well, what's that? 
um, I didn't tell the person what's that. I, I my mind. I, that. I was uh, like, who's sure. doing that? So yes. I, you know, I did some research and I naively thought, so I made all the mistakes that we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. I naively thought all I had to do was put some posts on Instagram and I would fill up a class. Yeah. Easy. Uh, no. <laughs> so after that, um, that's when I took a course by Amy Porterfield. She didn't have the courses she has now. I think it was called yeah. like Facebook Profit Lab. Yeah. But it was really about how to build an email list. And when I started building my email list and using the strategies, not only did I use it to build the online class, but I was then using that to sell my art. So mm -hmm. my art career became in all the ways became more successful. And the coaching pivot happened about two years ago, almost the same way somebody approached me and said, do you coach? I was like, of mm. course I do. Yeah. <laughs> Someone <laughs> needs a coach. I can coach. <laughs> yes. But I really enjoy it, which is why yeah. I've allowed that to become the focus of what I do. I feel I'm on a mission to help, yeah. help other people, help, help the Miriams of 20 years ago so yeah and I think that is such a powerful place to come from that you know I've, I've seen people and I'm ashamed to say that you know they bought a course on how to sell a course and then sold a course on how to sell a course like and they've never sold a course like you know they're literally just they've seen the online world and gone I want a piece of that and now they're trying to make it fit. Whereas following someone like you who has done exactly everything that you are working with people to do is the best teacher you can have. Like I've just put together this uh, new pathway, a uh, three-stage pathway for my members. And basically it tells them at each stage for each type of thing, i.e. social or content or sales or um, community and team, email list, what to do at the stage they're at. And I've put it together. It's a beast. It's huge. And I said to them, this isn't a course. This isn't a get through all the lessons. And then you get to the end and you tick the box. Not at all. This, what you're seeing here mapped out took me seven years. Now I'm not saying it's going to take you seven years because I learned, changed, tweaked, whatever, but this isn't meant to be like done like that. It's not a quick fix thing. So these things take time, but you know, we're the best people to learn them from because we've been there, done that, made the mistakes, cried with some gin in bed, uh, picked ourselves up again and started again. <laughs> like we're the best people to ask. Yeah. And um, I mean, you can tell the difference between coaches who are recycling theory. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've paid for coaches like that. Right. <laughs> like, I, you know, that's not yeah. what. And please don't tell me my launch didn't work as Mercury's in retrograde. That's not helpful. <laughs> We have a joke in my membership because whenever someone like says something, they're like, is Mercury, Mercury in retrograde? I'm like, I think it's permanently in retrograde. Like, right? like, it's like always it's hard. retrograde four times a year or something ridiculous like that. And it lasts four weeks. So it's not really helpful. So final question so that we can wrap up because I'm conscious of your time. So the next thing that you've got coming is you've written a book. So Tell us, because I'm in awe with anybody who can write a book. So tell us, like, what was the inspiration, what the book's about, and when it's going to be out. Okay, so I'm still in the trenches, so I'm writing a book. I do have a publishing contract with HarperCollins, so um, it is. this is happening. It's scheduled to be released October 2023, no, 22, next year. Yes. And it's due December 31st, so I've gotten about... 
um, seven or eight chapters done. And I using Teresa, all the stuff we talked about today, I'm like tracking my progress, yeah. keeping, you know, count, looking at my word counts, like that's keeping me motivated. Um, you know, I scheduled out when each chapter was due to like, keep me focused. Love it. Love it. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm in the, I'm in the middle of it. What was it? What was the question? Like, what was it like? like? It's such a big question. It's, it was, sorry, there's several things. So what's the book about? Yes. Okay. So the book is how to make it as an artist. Uh, we don't have the exact title yet. I think yeah. right now the working title is artpreneur, which it may be the title. I feel it's a little derivative. So hopefully we'll yeah. come up with something better, but it, we walk, I walk through all five of those plans, the signature style pricing, how to create a high end brand. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I talk about, I do use a lot of examples from my world, from the visual art and the art world and the creative world, but it's applicable to really any business because of what, what we talked about today. So all five of the plans, and then there's a lot about mindset. So I'm teaching you how to think like an abundant artist. Yes. So that is the thread that goes throughout the entire book is how to knock off starving artist syndrome mm -hmm. and get rid of those limiting beliefs so that you can thrive. Yeah. And, and this is something that I go on about a lot. Mindset is so incredibly important, but I think in your industry, like literally it's been built on the starving artist, hasn't it? It's been built on, you don't make any money. So I think from any industry, yours is the one that needs the mindset work, isn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> means you've got a lot of work on. That's fine. That's fine. Well, Miriam, I'm so excited to have you on. It's been great to chat and I'm really excited to see your book when that comes out. I'm like I said, I'm in awe of anyone who can write a book. It's on my goal list that one day I will. I just can't actually imagine having to write it as I struggle just doing emails because uh, I'm not a natural writer, but I just think it's a uh, it's an amazing thing if you can do it, but everything will be linked up into the show notes. But if my audience want to come and find you, where is the best place? Where do you hang out? Well, if you liked what you heard here today, then come find me on the inspiration place. Uh, we talk a lot about what we talked about here. It's not about how to paint. It's a how yeah. to think abundantly, how to market. And we have lots of guests, just like Teresa will be a future guest on the show as well. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you, Miriam. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Teresa. It's been a pleasure. There we go. That was Miriam. Lots of good things in there. Like I said, regardless of what industry you're on, it's funny because, you know, lots of the principles are the same. So I'm going to leave you to carry on eating mince pies and drinking. What do you drink at Christmas? Oh, I make eggnog. I make the best eggnog. It's so nice. Cream and alcohol. I mean, what is not to love? Anyway, <laughs> I will leave you to it. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And like I said, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do go check out TeresaHeathWearing.com where you'll find more amazing content to help you grow your business.